0: Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and the author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is www.thementalhealthgym.com. It's your source of information about positive psychology, goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and all kinds of things to help you manage wellness and growth. As listeners to the podcast know, most of our episodes feature interesting guests who both lead their lives enthusiastically and can help us to lead ours in a more enthusiastic and health-producing manner. Today's guest is very special in terms of his orientation and direction and guidance in an area that many of us don't think about enough. Dr. Ben Reuter is a faculty member at California University of Pennsylvania. He holds certificates from the National Strength and Conditioning Association and the National Athletic Trainers Association. He is an exercise physiologist, personal trainer, and podcaster. And in his roles in doing so, he promotes the ethos that movement is a lifestyle and not just an activity because movement is a part of what makes your life complete. He's particularly an appropriate guest at this time because many of us have been kind of limited in our movement because of the the coronavirus pandemic, and hopefully you can help us with some suggestions as to how to keep moving at a time when we're encouraged to stay home. Ben has a couple of podcasts, one appropriately named Moving to Live, and also Fitness Lab Pittsburgh, which gives you a clue as to where he lives. So it's my great pleasure and honor to have Dr. Ben Reuter as a guest with us today. Ben, I'm so happy you could join us. We're really looking forward to what you can teach us.
1: Dr. Kaiser, thanks for having me. I'm always happy to talk about movement. As you said, I really do believe it's part of a lifestyle. We're looking forward to hear how we can incorporate it into ours,
0: but maybe we could start I'm always interested in people's journey to being who they are. And I wonder, uh, to get to this version of Ben Reuter, What I mean, is it something you started doing during childhood? You know, I don't remember many of us when I was growing up thinking about being an exercise physiologist or even knowing what it is. So maybe include it in your description of the journey. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about
1: what that title means, Exercise Physiologist. Sure. So I guess I was fortunate enough where I grew up, grew up in upstate New York in a small town. I actually grew up on a dairy farm. And because, as any of you listeners know who know anything about the dairy farming industry, there's a, there's a lot of work for everybody of all ages. And I remember when I was in eighth grade or seventh grade for junior high school, my dad said, pick a sport. You can play one of the three, but you need to work on the farm in the other two seasons so I picked soccer and I still remember halfway through the season, my dad said, you know, we live in a small town. It's really important that there are sports for everybody. You should probably play basketball too. And midway through basketball season, it's like, you know, last year, there weren't that many people playing baseball. So you should probably play on the baseball team and do it. So I went from in seventh grade and I had played little league and been an active kid to planning on playing one sport through high school to playing all three sports. Not very well, I'll add, but that's one of the advantages of growing up in a small area. And my original idea when I went to college is I was going to be a athletic trainer, which if when a Philadelphia Eagle goes down on the field and you see somebody running out on the field, chances are one of them is the orthopedic surgeon and the other one is the certified athletic trainer. But I always was one of those curious people. And when I was in grad school for athletic training, I had a professor, Dr. Melvin Williams, who has since passed, but uh, he was a uh, exercise physiologist, and he specialized in research in ergogenic aids or supplements that help people perform better. But Dr. Williams said, you know, you ought to think about getting your doctorate. So after working for a few years, I did get my doctorate in exercise physiology. You can think of an exercise physiologist as uh, somebody who, considers what happens or examines what happens to the body during exercise. So the physiological processes during exercise, but the big ethos for the idea why I'm on your podcast movement is a lifestyle probably happened five or six years ago because I always took kind of movement for granted. I was always active. I always did various activities, triathlons. I ran, I lifted weights and about five or six years ago, I had two things that happened within a relatively short period of time. Number one was I've always had an eye that was very, very nearsighted and all my life they said, at some point you're going to detach your retina. Here's what the signs and symptoms are. Don't worry about it, but when it happens and you know, get yourself to a retinal surgeon as soon as possible. So about five or six years ago, I was out walking my dogs and I saw the telltale signs And my initial thought was, oh, this is what they told me about. No big deal. We'll get it taken care of and life will continue as we see it now. Well, unfortunately, it took three or four years to stabilize the problem over nine surgeries, 15 procedures. And there were times when just from recovery from retinal surgeon, as I'm sure you know, being in the medical field, there were times when I had an air bubble in the eye and I had to hold the position for 18, 20 hours a day. So the bubble would push against the retina. So there were times when I couldn't really work out or I couldn't move. And I started to recognize that, wow, what I've taken for granted is really, really important to me. It has a effect on myself physically and also psychologically. And then also within that same time, one of my two dogs was diagnosed with idiopathic epilepsy and I realized that at some point I would lose her. Unfortunately, I lost her about a year ago due to complications. But I saw how much joy and how much fun she had when we went to the park, when we went running, when we went on trails. So my goal was I'm gonna keep her as active as possible. And the way I knew that that was the right thing to do is it made her happy. And I kind of got more evidence uh, just anecdotally that that was a good thing because she would have regular follow-ups with her Veterinary neurologist and the neurologist would say, I don't know what you're doing with her, but keep doing it because her heart rate is slow and she looks great. So, kind of with those two things happening in my life, I started realizing movement is important to me. I started listening to, or I continued to listen to, a fair number of movement based podcasts anything from physicians talking to exercise physiologists, personal trainers, physical therapists. And I realized that a lot of them focused on individual professions or individual things that people did. So what happened is there wasn't really a crossover of knowledge. There was silo knowledge. So the psychologists would talk to the psychologists, the physiologists would talk to the physiologists, the physical therapist would talk to the physical therapists, never recognizing in this whole movement field or realm, everybody wants the same thing. We want people to either move more or move better. And by better, I mean more efficiently or move without pain if you're somebody who has injuries or you're somebody who's older. So literally, I can remember where I was with my two dogs running. And I'm like, well, I should do a podcast. And I bought the equipment. And as I started looking at what it was, that's kind of where the ethos movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity came to be. And here we are in late May of 2020 talking.
0: That's a great story. Thanks for sharing it. But it brings up a question in my mind, just so I'm not assuming something and my listeners aren't. When you talk about movement, are we talking walking, running? Is it, I mean, is weight training included in it? What does movement mean? And when you encourage somebody to use movement as a lifestyle, what what does that look like?
1: That's a great question and probably a little deeper than maybe you intended. You know, Ideally, we'd like to see everybody follow something like the American College of Sports Medicine guidelines, where you're doing three to five days of aerobic exercise and two to three days of resistance training, and in addition, being active in other ways, playing with your kids, maybe playing recreational golf or tennis. But if you look at the statistics in the United States and you look at the research, the vast majority of people don't do that. And the vast majority of people don't even move. I could be slightly off on the actual value, but if you combine men and women, somewhere around 25% of Americans do absolutely nothing. So I would like to see people do resistance training. I would like to see people do aerobic training. But I also think that, in addition to saying, I know you and I were chatting prior to this and you go to the gym and you do yoga classes and you do resistance training, but I'd like to see people encompass movement beyond that. So you don't say, okay, I've gone to the gym three times this week, or I've worked out with a Zoom class three times this week, since we're in the middle of COVID-19 and social distancing. I'd like them to think and learn and come up with experience to realize, Movement is a lifestyle. It's not just something you do, like you brush your teeth. You do it because you enjoy it. You do it because you take the opportunity to do it. You do it because it just literally is a way of life. And I think the perfect example is, you know, how many people do you know when they go on vacation? Like, oh good, now I don't have to get up early and go to the gym. Or, oh good, now I don't have to get up early and run or ride my bike. Whereas if you're looking at movement as a lifestyle and you've got various ways that you move, whether it's weightlifting or a CrossFit session, or it's walking with your wife or your husband, that's something you look forward to. you know. Just like you look forward to a good meal or, or if you enjoy good wine, a good glass of wine, or a good movie, this is something that's like, you just can't imagine what it's like not to move on a regular basis. And I think what we've done is, to some extent, we've overcomplicated exercise. We've said, oh, you, know, you need to do it this many times a week, you need to do this, this, and this. And I think that's important to get across, but before we get to that point, let's keep it simple and say, Let's start moving more. So, when you walk outside your door and there's snow on the ground and you're walking, people aren't going by and go, "Who's that crazy old guy?" They're going, "Oh, yeah, I see him all the time. I know who that is because I see him on my walk." So, I would like to see people do more, but I think before we get to that point, we need to start making it so moving is the norm rather than the abnorm.
0: So the question that, as you were talking, that occurs to me, and I don't know that that you've got an answer for it or anybody does, but, you know, I see preschool-age kids, their basic activity is play and movement and so on. And I know my grandchildren are in the the preteen years, and my granddaughter is very active as a gymnast, and my grandson plays hockey, which is very well, which is a 12-month sport if you're Active, But I think they're not the norm. So I guess I'm just wondering, when we get to the point of starting out with activity being a basic form of of living for the young child, where did we go wrong that somehow a large number of kids become inactive, the obesity epidemic fits fits them in, in many ways? Is there anything that that can identify where we went wrong or how we can do to correct that.
1: I think there's a a multitude of ways that we've gone wrong. And I think it's an overgeneralization because it's not everybody, you know, obviously, and this would be an entirely other additional podcast episode, diet or the food that we eat has gone wrong. I know if you talk to friends of yours who are from European countries or Asian countries, One of the things inevitably everybody comments about is the size of the portions in US restaurants and the size of portions that that Americans eat. I know I was interviewing for one of my podcasts, Dr. E, who is in Italy and his wife, I believe, is Italian. And one of the things they did before COVID-19 is they would walk and get gelato a lot of nights after dinner. And, you know, if you think in the US, like, you know, you're going to have ice cream every day. Oh, my God, you're going to become overweight. But the way it is in Italy, you walk three, four, five kilometers each way or round trip, so you're walking two and a half to three miles strolling along, you have a small serving and you walk back. Whereas in the US, you hop in your big SUV or you take the subway or the bus, you go to your ice cream place and, well, if I'm gonna do this, this is a treat, so I'm gonna have three or four large scoops. So I think the diet is the one thing. I think the second thing that makes a difference for it is organized team sports for kids. I think that's good on the one hand, but it also has the disadvantage of potentially being either overly scheduledized or overly selective. Because how many kids do you know who, you know, they're eight or nine years old and mom and dad are already going, well, Where's she going to get a scholarship from? Or are we going to put a lot of money in it? Whereas at that age, they should really be enjoying a variety of activities. I know there are a number of professionals in my field who talk about long-term athletic development and teaching kids to move and making movement something that's a priority versus competition. So I think the second thing is just an overemphasis on competition. You know, you got an eight-year-old who's on a travel soccer team. Are you kidding me? And then I think the third thing is It's a multi-generational thing. You're old enough and I'm old enough to remember when we first got the internet and when we first got a cell phone and we first got an email address. And even when the really cool thing was you could go to a blockbuster video store and you could rent a movie that you could play on your VCR. So I think we've got so much technology, which is really, really good, but it's very easy to say, well, I don't have to move because I can sit there and my recreation and fun activities can be primarily passive. You know, it's 80 some degrees here in Pittsburgh now. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable to go out in that weather. And depending on where kids live, it may not be safe to go outside. So I think it's a combination of diet, making things too competitive in some instances, just it's not the norm because if everybody is doing passive activities, you kind of follow the crowd. And then in some instances, safety, which is things where boys and girls clubs and YMCAs can be beneficial where everybody has the opportunity to participate. So I think your question is, the answer is kind of multifaceted. And I hope I threw some light on the multiple facets. Yeah, that was really helpful. And I'm just wondering, as a follow up,
0: if somebody is a parent of a young child and wants to do right by them and wants to make movement a part of the lifestyle, I assume just like like everything else, the earlier you start, the greater the the chances are that it will be part of it. Just are there you know maybe two or three pointers as to what they should be doing? Is there a certain amount of time a week that should be devoted to this? Is it a Make it a family activity. I I wonder, are there some things, some hints that you can give to the motivated parent who
1: wants to raise a motivated, moving child? Sure. I think the number one thing is if you want to change what a child does or you want to make it the norm, do it with them. We all know how bad it is when somebody says, do this. I'm thinking, for example, the caricature of the overweight physician who walks in smoking a cigarette and says, you know, Dr. Kaiser, you really need to drop some weight and you need to stop smoking those cigarettes or you're going to have a heart attack. And you kind of look at him and you're thinking, well, he's fat and he's smoking cigarettes, but he's telling me not to. So that doesn't make sense. So I think the best thing is something that you do as a family. If it's taking a walk. And rather than saying, okay, you know, it's after dinner, we're going to go out and we're going to take a two mile walk. Instead of saying that he's like, we're just going to go outside. You know, maybe we're going to go to the local park. We're going to see what's there in the stream. We're going to do something that our goal is just to move. I know another physician that I've interviewed has talked about with some of his patients, what he does is he takes them for a walk when he interviews them and talks to them. Because one of the things you'll find if you go for a walk, you go for a run, a bike ride, something that you do with somebody else, a lot of times you'll come up with some really interesting conversations or your kids will open up to you because rather than you sitting down with your grandson or granddaughter and say, so tell me about this, it'll just come up organically, kind of pun intended if you're outside, mm-hmm. because you know, you're looking around, hey, look at that bird, you know, watch this, look at that. So people are more likely because you're not focusing on them to share with you, to let you know if they're having problems. So I think family aspect is important. Has to be fun. I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago talking to the, uh, the host and he said, you know, for me to go out and run, I can go a mile or two and it just absolutely bores me to death and it's horrendous. But I can go out and I can play soccer or I can kick a soccer ball around for three or four hours and I enjoy that. So I think the second thing is find things that are enjoyable. And it doesn't have to be any one thing. Just to use myself as an example, I like to run, I like to bike, I like to hike, I like to kayak, I like to canoe. I don't like to be indoors. I do indoor activity because it allows me to do the outdoor things. So I think do something as a family, do a variety of activities, make it so it's kind of the norm that you're an active family. Let the kids set the pace to some extent. I know... If you take your kids kayaking, we're great here. They have something called Venture Outdoors where you can rent kayaks. And rather than saying if you go, you know, okay, we're going to kayak for two hours, just kind of go and let the kids set the pace, let the kids look at what they see, just so this becomes the norm to be moving rather than the abnormal. It's like okay, we need to get up off the couch and we need to do that. And I think the best thing that I've seen from—I don't have kids, but from friends of mine who do—and for the kids who turn into lifetime movers the parents are active, you know, the parents are doing stuff in the garden, the parents are taking walks, you know, it's not at all unusual for the family to go for a bike ride together. So it's something where it just it becomes ingrained in the fabric of life rather than, oh, it's Friday, so we have to take a two mile walk.
0: That's really, really tremendous advice. In psychology, we're well aware of the fact that role modeling is a very powerful teacher. And in whatever aspects of life, if Say, for example, if uh, parents are sitting down with a book for an hour rather than watching TV, that's communicating something. And if parents are, you know, doing something active with their kids rather than sitting in the stands and cheering on a small number, which obviously they're going to do if kids are performing, but the more that, that role modeling is involved in so many aspects of life, the more powerful it can be. I hope some people will be listening to this at some future date when we're not as limited in what we can do because of the coronavirus pandemic, but most of us are home a lot longer and a lot more time than than normal, and we even miss the amount of time that would be utilized in, in a commute. I mean, I, for example, I have an eight-minute walk to work if I went to my office, so it's that's 16 minutes a day that I have to replace somehow. Do you have any special advice to people who, number one, didn't expect to be in this place and aren't really prepared for it? I know uh, in some places, gyms are opening, not in our area yet, and it hadn't been for, I guess, about three months or close to three months now. What can people do to maintain an activity level? Since we do know that Staying home doesn't mean that you have to physically be in the house all the time.
1: If I could, I'll answer that in two ways. Things that they can do now while we have the social distancing, the COVID-19, and things to plan for the future. Since if you look at what uh, experts are saying, we may come up with situations like this in the future. So it's much easier if you're prepared for something than if you're not. And I think you and I were chatting before we started recording. A lot of people were thrown for a loop with this. The first thing for what's going on currently, and as you said, you know, most places in the United States, at least here in Pennsylvania, you can't go to a gym, take advantage to try other things. What I can say for that is if you're fortunate enough to live in the suburbs, this might be the time to take on those yard projects. Maybe you want to do the flower beds, maybe you want to plant the garden. That's actually movement. What I did here just south of Pittsburgh, I live on a little bit of four acres and I've lived here for 11 years. And one of my plans when I moved in, it's like, oh, I'm going to make some hiking trails and some mountain biking trails. Yeah, I'm going to do that when I get the time. Well, it took me eleven years, but I now have a little circuit of mountain bike and trail running trails that I can keep mowed with a lawnmower. And it doesn't matter what's going on other than pouring rain if it floods, I can go out and I can walk on my trails. Now I recognize that I'm exceptional where I can do that and that I have that, but in many cases, what's going on right now in the Pennsylvania at least and, and many other states, as you said, you're not told you have to stay at home inside 24 seven. So you can get out, you can take a walk. I know you mentioned you do that a little bit. Now you can potentially go to the local park, maintaining social distancing. And if it's a large park, it's fairly easy to do that. And that might give you the opportunity. If you're walking, if you're jogging, if you're riding your bike to explore new areas of the park, We were chatting a little bit before we started recording about uh, both of us kind of upping our Zoom game during this. You know, there are a huge variety of streaming classes, everything from strength training to yoga classes to things that you don't need a whole lot of equipment to do. So this may be the opportunity if you've always wanted to try a yoga class, for example, but the idea of going into a yoga studio where everybody knows what they're doing and you feel kind of like a left-handed person in a right-handed world Now you can do it in the privacy of your own home, and it might give you something that you can do going forward. Now, to kind of switch gears a little bit, if this happens again or something similar happens again, where gyms are closed, where you're told, you know, don't be outside and don't be around other people as much, kind of plan ahead. Think, what are the two or three things that kind of are in my movement toolbox that I don't need somebody else to do? I don't need a gym. Right now, it's a little bit hard to buy kettlebells and other things like that, but that's going to ease and be available. So maybe find out what's the one or two pieces of resistance training that I can put in my home or my apartment. One of the things that I'm a big fan of is suspension trainers. TRX makes one. Gymnastic rings are another example. Monkey makes them. Something that's relatively cheap that you can slam in your door and you can do some sort of movement resistance training. I'm a big fan of streaming classes if that's what gets you. And, you know, we can't underestimate just the value of if you're able to get outside of taking a walk. It's not only the physical, it's the psychological. I know i interviewed an individual who's in the military who talks about going for a run with his people who are under him and problems that seemed just insurmountable before the run. They just kind of talked it out and the relief of the stress relief. So, Kind of to sum up my long-winded answer, short-term, try something new. Try a variety of things that you're able to do. Long-term, use this opportunity where you've found things to say, what are the two or three things that, God forbid, if this happens again in six months or a year, maybe I can't go to my gym, maybe I can't go to my yoga class, maybe I can't go to my favorite park, but here are two or three movement things where I can get 30, 40, 50 minutes of activity or more a day in. Hey, that's
0: terrific. Uh- Appreciate that. As you were talking, I noticed that while at several points during our conversation, you've pointed out some of the benefits, we haven't really addressed it as, why is this important? You know, I learned about how you prolonged your your dog's life. But in general, can you kind of give us a bit of a punch list of what are the benefits of maintaining an
1: active lifestyle versus not doing so? I'll give you the short, sweet, simple answer, and then I'll expand on that. The reason to maintain an active lifestyle is so that you can do what you want, when you want, until you die. To build up on that, or to kind of add to that a little bit, the other reason to maintain an active lifestyle is to better equip you to deal with stresses. Again, it seems like some of our best conversations occur when we're not recording, but you you and I were talking about the comorbidities with COVID-19, And you mentioned that your age was a comorbidity and you're like, but I don't have any of those other comorbidities. Everything that happens to us in life is a stress. So COVID-19 puts a stress on our body. The stronger you are, the better fit you are, the stronger your immune system is, the better you're going to be able to withstand that, the better you're going to be able to withstand diseases like cancer. So it's kind of setting up or strengthening your Structure or your foundation, so you 're better with able to withstand the stresses of life, and then the final thing is so that you can enjoy a high quality of life. I know if you talk to a lot of elderly people and when I say elderly i 'm using as a term not people who are advanced chronologically, but people who have kind of act old well i can 't do that anymore i 'm too old i don 't want to do that anymore i 'm too old. The idea to be able to maintain an active lifestyle is to allow you to be active, to contribute to society, to have society contribute to you, to just really enjoy life. I know a lot of people, I've said to a couple of people, it's like, yeah, my goal is to live to be 104 or 105. Why do you want to live that long? Because there's so many things I want to try that I want to do. Now, I might not make it to 104, 105. I might make it to longer than that. We don't know what medicine is going to do with the advantages. But I never want to be that person. I'm 52 now. I never want to be, you know, 85, 90, 95. I think, granted, I may not run a marathon when I'm that old. But I never want somebody to say, hey, you want to go for a walk? And I can't do that. Or, hey, do you want to do this? So the reason to maintain the activity is so you can be active, so you can do the things that you want to do throughout the lifespan, literally until the end.
0: Well, thank you for that answer because it hits home in a lot of ways. And But since you brought up my age, which is one of the reasons I went through writing my book, is that I did see some people who could really – benefit from a lifestyle change and more enthusiasm as they grow older. But I saw quite a number of my colleagues age-wise who really, it's almost like learning a foreign language at, you know, age 60 or 70. You know, it's not impossible to do, but it takes more motivation and you do have to compete with some brain space that's already being used. If somebody came to you and asked you, I've been busy building a business, growing my family, uh, you know, I fortunately am not really sick, you know, I hope it's salvageable, but, you know, I've tried to to do some things and I'm not used to it. After 15 minutes, you know, I've, I'm doing more than what I've done before and it's not fun or, you know, I, I'm not used to taking a walk, how do you recommend somebody get started in addressing this if they're kind of in their second half century of life?
1: I think the first thing is to make sure that they're cleared for movement by their physician, to make sure that they don't have any pre-existing conditions that may require them to either have a modified activity or maybe exercise under the direct supervision of a clinical exercise physiologist or some other medical professional. I think the second thing to do is to communicate with them and to find out What do they enjoy doing, not enjoy doing? What's their personality like? For example, if you told me that I can continue to get my exercise in, but I have to switch 50% of my exercise to where I go to a gym or a fitness facility and I do a group exercise class, my activity probably within six or seven months is going to decrease because me going out and me exercising is my stress relief, my way to kind of downgrade or decrease the stress, both good and bad, of dealing with people. So there are some people who just love the community of group exercise. They love the idea that when they show up, it's, hey, Ron, how was your day? How was your vacation with your wife? There's other people that that just that idea of having somebody in their life like that, they don't like. So It's kind of very important to talk to your clients or talk to the people who come to you and say, you know, what is it you like and what is it you don't like? You know, if somebody's a member of Toastmasters or or a member of various committees in their church, they probably like that social interaction. There may be other people, guys, God, I'm around people all day. I've got my grandkids here all the time. I've got my wife here. I've got my kids. I just need some time for me. So maybe they're more of an independent. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is give them less than they say they want to do. So we overcomplicate exercise. Just take aerobic exercise, for example. We say you should go out and you should elevate your heart rate for three to five times a week for 20 to 60 minutes. That's good. But for some people, if they're starting out, that may be way too much. So we always have a tendency to look at exercise and movement as good or you're not doing enough. So if you've got a beginning person, not beginning in life, but beginning in movement, start slow. Maybe it's like, you know, we just want to take it slow and accumulate some sort of movement activity for 10 minutes a day. And let's try that for a week. Let's try that for a month. See how it does. Maybe it's somebody who says, you know, I, I need somebody to motivate me. So maybe that's somebody who needs a personal trainer. It doesn't have to be every session. One of the things I recommend to anybody who is not a professional is to hire a personal trainer, maybe not full time, but maybe you buy yourself uh, one or two sessions or you're taking advantage of one or two sessions a couple of times a year where they can look at your form where they can talk to you about what you're doing in your movement practices and offer suggestions. Even for me, I'm uh, what you would probably classify as overeducated. Every three or four weeks, there's a movement professional here in Pittsburgh. He happens to be a a certified athletic trainer and a chiropractor. And I've got some long-term back issues. I go and see Dr. Pete Thomas every three or four weeks for a session just so he can watch me move. I can talk things through to him. And I have never left there and felt worse, number one. And number two, it kind of keeps me honest where he says, you know, you probably should do more of this. You should probably do more of that. So I think start slow, figure out what the person wants and then don't be afraid to integrate some professional advice into that.
0: That's terrific advice and I think if we can add to it the fact that you know this building a positive lifestyle and a healthy lifestyle is not a competitive sport. You know, if you are concentrating on yourself, the fact that somebody else is the same age uh, as you and is doing some things that are more advanced has nothing to do with you. One of the things I teach my patients, when the questions ask themselves, what does this have to do with me? I mean, you're coming from different backgrounds, you have different body builds started at different times. That the important thing is to focus on yourself and that you are in a process. This isn't as good as it's going to get if you
1: keep working on it. That's a great thing. I mean, one of the things we don't know is we don't know what. Each individual's problems or health issues are. You know, there may be somebody who's struggling with depression, we think, wow, they're absolutely phenomenal. I wish I could do what they're doing. There may be another person, you know, who has a chronic disease like rheumatoid arthritis. And I think one of the things that people, anybody who does an exercise program or movement program on a regular basis has a tendency to be is they tend to be too hard on themselves. I tell the clients that I work with and the people who ask me for advice is I tell them two things. I tell them number one is. You can't judge from one session to another. What you want to be able to do is you want to be able to look back two to three months and say, okay, what am I doing now that's better or worse than what I was doing then? So, you know, if you've got somebody who comes to you and they're very, very deconditioned, they're like, you know, I just, I, I don't see, my goal was to run a 5K and I don't see how I can ever run a 5K you're able to say, yeah, but look, three months ago, you struggled to walk for 15 minutes. Now you can go out and you can walk for 45 minutes. And during that uh, 45 minute session, you're jogging for three one minute sessions. That's a huge improvement. So I think that's number one is always look long term, because it is a journey, as hokey as that sounds. And then number two, if you hit 80% of your goals, so if you have a program that is like, I'm going to do whatever it is, whether it's a yoga class, whether it's walking, and you get to the end of that two to three month session and you look back and say, well, I didn't do everything. The immediate tendency is to say, oh God, I'm a failure. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And actuality, if you look at it, you said, wow, I hit 80%. That's a win. If you only hit 60%, look at what the other stresses were. Were there family stresses? Was this, you know, the big thing I see? just yesterday, the Boston Marathon, and this is for the more advanced people, but the Boston Marathon announced that, you know, they had postponed it from next spring to, or from this spring to the fall, they announced, no, no, we're not having it. It's virtual, or you can get a refund. So runners who are, who that was their goal, all of a sudden, they could look at themselves and they say, wow, that's a failure, rather than saying, wait, I've had the opportunity to run, I've had to do that. So always look at it as not good and bad, but kind of on a continuum. What's good about this? What's bad about this? How can I improve on it? And it may be, you know, if you've got somebody, no matter what their age, who is consistently not meeting what they want to do, they need to have an honest look at what everything else is. You know, if they've got a sick husband or wife, or they're spending a lot of time as a caregiver, they may not have as much time as somebody whose wife or husband is in really good condition and has their own social activity. So, that's where the continuum both of movement and for exercise needs to be. Consider all the stresses in life, not just what the movement is.
0: So it sounds like as long as the movement is in the right direction, then that's that's at least a partial win. You're going toward a broader goal and one that again, this isn't as good as you're going to get.
1: And um, I think if I could just add on that, I mean, it's always good to have somebody that you respect as a sounding board, whether it's a professional or a friend. I mentioned this uh, medical professional, Dr. Pete Thomas, that I see periodically. And I started seeing him shortly after I was cleared for exercise after my all my eye conditions because my back was constantly bothering me. And I would uh, get better for a couple of weeks and it would get worse. And he said something that intellectually, I was kind of like, no kidding, I should know that. But emotionally, I hadn't connected it with me. He said, look, you're trying to exercise at the level you were exercising five years ago, before you had all these eye issues and word is active. No wonder you're getting hurt. Your body's not ready for that. You need to back it off, take smaller steps, don't do quite as much and gradually build it up. And it's like, oh, wow, (laughs) that makes a lot of sense. So now I've been seeing him for probably three, three and a half years. You know, my level of activity now is significantly more, significantly more intense than it was three or three and a half years ago, all because I listened to him and said, oh yeah, he's right. I basically was much less active for three or four years. I need to build back up to that level.
0: That's terrific. It should help ward off discouragement in other people who may be confronting, whether it be a medical condition or just Conditioning over time. As usual, we tend to run out of time before we run out of things to talk about, but there are a couple of other areas that I want to get to before we shut it off. The first, I mentioned to you when we were talking before we started recording that in my own life there was a block of time, I mean it was over a year or two, where I changed primary physicians to someone who coincidentally started asking me things like how many times I eat red meat in a week, how many times I eat fish, how many times do I work out, You know, what does a typical breakfast consist of, and so on. Around the same time, the guys that I work with at the Headache Center, we formed a man yoga class, and I moved to a situation where it was, we live a block and a half from the gym now, so I have virtually no excuse for not getting there on a, on a regular basis. Somewhere along the line, all those things seemed to click. And there was a, a real definite change in my lifestyle. I, while I was never you know, obese or anything like that, I did lose a significant amount of weight. I did feel a lot better and sleep was better. And in general, there was kind of no going back to it. If I didn't go to the gym on a regular basis, I felt worse than if I did do you find that there is something that people can take for encouragement? Is there a a time frame where if you stick with it, the reward is there? Because I know nobody necessarily enjoys giving up too many sweets. Nobody enjoys what they may see as punishing themselves by going to the gym. Is there a time when there is a real switch? And does that take 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Is it an individual thing or what?
1: I think it's different for everybody. I'm reminded of a lady I interviewed for my Pittsburgh-based podcast, FitLab Pittsburgh, who was, by her own definition, a junk food addict and a smoker. And her daughter wanted to do a, a fundraiser for the children's hospital. One of the things she and her husband did, never having been a runner before, is they did a tag team or relay from Washington DC to Pittsburgh on the rails to trails that we have there. Last time I talked to her, she was training for a hundred miler. She has a personal trainer. And she said, if you told me six years ago that I wouldn't be smoking, I'd weigh less. And that I would look forward to getting up early on a Saturday morning to run. I wouldn't have known what you're talking about, but now I can't imagine a week when I don't do that. And my kids want to get up, they find races and say, I want to do races. So I think it's different for everybody number one, depending what their goal is, number two, depending where they're starting from. But no matter what it is, it's it's realistic expectations, whether it's, you know, I want to be able to get down on the floor and play with my grandkids, or when my family goes to get a Christmas tree, I want to actually be able to walk out in the field. Or if my daughter or my granddaughter or my grandson says, let's go to the mall so I can look at uh, something in the bookstore, I can walk with. So I, I don't think there's ever a magic switch that turns on But I think it's just encouraging people to look at the little things. What can you do now that you couldn't do then? What feels better now than than feels then? And if you look at it, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, if you look at it over a two to three month phase, I'm a big fan of people keeping some sort of a training log, even if it's just as simple as Friday, walk for 20 minutes. It sucked, (laughs) you know, so they can look back. I was fortunate enough to, uh, Clean out my closet during this whole pandemic, and I actually found training logs from 1997, 1998 when I was in graduate school. And I was looking at them, and just some of the. Sometimes it was just as simple, and this was a little bit excessive because I was training for Ironman triathlons at the time. You know, rode 80 miles, saw three deer running across the road, and it was able. I was able to look back. Wow, that was really neat. So I don't think there's a magic switch at a set period of time. I think it's different for everybody. I'm sure there are some people who never get it. But I think they're better setting themselves up for success if they go in with a realistic, intrinsic motivation. If they're saying, well, I want to look really good on the beach in a swimsuit, you may not have the genetics for that. But if you're saying, you know, it really hurts my knees when I climb more than two flights of steps, then after three or four months, you're able to say, oh, wow, my knees don't hurt. Or you may never really get that thing until you mention it to somebody. I know a client of mine who's since passed made the comment to me, he was seeing me for long-term back problems. He goes, yeah, my back's really bothering me today. It's like, well, you know, what did you do, Bob? He goes, "Um, I played 36 holes of golf on Saturday. I played another 18 on a Sunday. And yesterday I played another 18. I said, and what were you doing six months ago? He goes, yeah, if I could play 18 holes in a weekend, I was doing really well maybe the 70 plus holes of golf over the weekend were a little much for him. But when I pointed out to him, look, this is what you did. You couldn't do that six months ago. Oh, wow. I hadn't realized that. So again, it kind of, sometimes you have to have a sounding board, whether it's a professional, whether it's a friend with similar goals to say, Oh wow, this is a big change for me. This is worth doing even though I don't like getting up at seven o'clock in the morning for my man yoga class. I should point out, because I was going to interrupt If and then it
0: left my my mind back a while ago, working in a medical school, I do want to point out to people that that the world is changing. I think in the next generation of physicians, or even the, the current one, the chances of having an overweight smoker as your physician is really much diminished. The numbers are very small with respect to smoking. Most students are exercising, and it's much more of a do as I do rather than as I say than, than was the case in the past. Okay, in a limited amount of time, I'm going to need a couple of lightning round answers from you. We started out learning about your journey. Let's learn a little bit about your present. I mentioned that you are on the faculty
1: at California State College. What do you do there? I teach in their online graduate program. I teach classes in exercise physiology, sports nutrition, speed, agility, and quickness.
0: Okay, and give us the short course on what
1: people are going to hear about if they tune into your podcasts. Moving to Live, which I can say this is my international podcast since I've interviewed people in Australia, Singapore, and Canada. Moving to live, we interview movement professionals to A, find their story, and B, to find out what they do professionally. The whole goal behind that is to break down the knowledge silos, because as I mentioned early in the podcast, the whole goal behind the movement field is to make people either move more and or move better with less pain or more efficiently. The whole idea behind my local podcast, FitLab Pittsburgh, or Fitness Lab Pittsburgh, is to make people aware of the variety of movement opportunities and movement professionals in the Pittsburgh area. Because if you've ever been to Pittsburgh, the two jokes are people don't like to go across bridges or through tunnels. So they may say, well, there's nothing to do here, or "There's no, you can't do this sort of movement here. And our goal with FitLab Pittsburgh is to make people aware that there are all kinds of movement opportunities. And I'm sure that's true wherever people live, is that there are movement opportunities that you
0: don't think about, in Pittsburgh, they're fortunate enough to have that pointed out by you. You've given us such a tremendous amount of advice, and I know it's only a fraction of what people can gain from you. So how do people get in touch with you? How do people hear your podcast? What other things do you have to offer, anything that uh, can help our our audience
1: become more fit and maintain movement as a real active and ongoing part of their lives? So both of the podcasts are on a variety of social media channels, but if you don't use social media for Fitness Lab Pittsburgh, if you go to the website, dot com, that will take you to the podcasts. In addition, you'll find links there to my other podcast, Moving to Live, which is found at M-O-V-I-N-G, numeral two, L-I-V-E.com. And one of the other things we do for FitNod Pittsburgh, for those people who enjoy it, is every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we publish a one-minute movement tip lifestyle hack video. If you like Labradors, a lot of them consist of me out in the woods coming up with ideas. But just movement tip lifestyle hack videos, you can find them every Friday on the webpage. Or if you're on social media, we publish it every Monday, Wednesday, Friday on Facebook, on Instagram, And on Twitter, and again, those links would be at either dot com or M-O-V-I-N-G, number two, L-I-V-E.com. Okay, well,
0: the work that you do is so important, not just from the standpoint of bringing enjoyment into people's lives, but actually extending the quality of people's lives. And I just was so thrilled when I... I was able to book you for our podcast. Uh, again, I'm really honored that you uh, have agreed to be with us, share your advice, real possibility that we'll be asking for it again at some point, because I know I haven't exhausted my questions for you. So thanks very much, Ben.
1: It was a real, real pleasure and honor. Dr. Kaiser, thank you. I always love talking about movement. We'll likely give you another opportunity to do so.
0: So this has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser, the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically every day of your life. As you know, our podcasts are really helpful and informative and entertaining. And today's guest, Dr. Ben Reuter, was absolutely no exception. And if you listen to it all the way through, you got lots of tips that will enable you to be more effective in the way that you lead your own life. Hopefully, you will download, listen, rate, and review the podcast and all the others. And stay tuned next week when we have another interesting guest who will be helping us lead our lives in an enthusiastic and healthy manner. So, until then, keep in mind our website is www.thementalhealthgym.com. My book is Rejuvenaging the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. And of course, this podcast is Rejuvenaging with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you the next time.